Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Help us, Lord, who are people who are very needy. We need you to help us to open our hearts, Lord, to receive the teaching you have for us, change our lives. We pray through it in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 43. Genesis 43. Now, please follow along here. Genesis 43, as we uh, again put ourselves in the place of Joseph and Jacob and all the brothers here. In Genesis 43, verse 1, the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt. Their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. Israel said, Wherefore dealt you so ill with me as to tell the man whether you had a brother? And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words. Could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned the second time. Their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits of the land of your vessels and carry down a man a present, a little balm, a little honey, uh, spices, myrrh, nuts, and almonds. And take double money in your hand and the money that was again, brought again in the mouth of your sacks. Carry it again in your hand. Peradventure was an oversight. Take also your brother. Arise, go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your brother. And Benjamin, if I bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. And the man took that present and took that double money in their hand and Benjamin and rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, bring these men home, slay, make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph bade, and the man brought the men unto Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. They said, because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time are we brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen and our asses. They came near to the steward of Joseph's house and communed with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we came indeed at the first time to buy food. And it came to pass when we came to the end that we opened our sacks and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack. 
our money in full weight, and we've brought it again in our hand. And other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. That's where we'll stop this morning. Okay, now, in our last study, it was very interesting because what we saw was this great change, you remember, that happened in Jacob. Because in the previous chapter, Jacob had put his foot down and said in verse 22, in chapter 42, verse 38, 42, 38, he said, my son shall not go down with you. His brother is dead, he's left alone. That was his decision. It was very, very significant, that decision that he made. But then he changes his mind here in this chapter, and he does it all because it starts out, as you see there, in verse 3, and then you see it again in verse 8, these words, Judah spake, Judah spake unto him in verse 3, Judah spake unto Israel in verse 8. That's a very significant statement because it's what changed Jacob's mind, and it's almost like prophetic When you look at verse eight and it says, and Judah spake unto Israel. It's like a prophecy. Why? Because this was one of the brothers, just one of the brothers, Judah, who now steps forward and with this kind of, uh, well, it's unusual, it's it's unique, but it's a boldness that Judah has here. It's a confidence that Judah has that none of the other brothers have. And this boldness, this confidence, is a persuasion that changes the mind of Jacob. Now, this is characteristic of Judah. This is who Judah is. Judah is confident. Judah is persuasive. And it's this bold confidence that Judah has here that changes Jacob's mind to allow Benjamin to go down to Egypt with the brothers. And Jacob knew this about Judah. Jacob knew that of all the brothers, it was Judah who stood out with this confidence. And as Jacob sees this, and of course he's, he's been persuaded by Judah, but he sees this about Judah and he says, that's Judah. And he captures this truth about Judah with a title that none of the other brothers have anything like this title. And the title that he gives it gives to Judah is in uh, on his deathbed in Genesis 49.9, when Jacob looks at Judah and said, Judah is a lion's whelp. Judah is a lion's whelp. And then he goes on and says, from the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? Judah is a lion's whelp, a whelp. A lion's whelp is a female lion that's given birth to her cubs and is training them to be hunters and does all the other things that lion, that female mothers, lions do. And it's really something. And I remember, I remember, I read this about Judah being the lion's whelp from the prey. And I remember one morning when we were on a safari in Tanzania and our driver, our safari driver, Bashiri, said to us, he said to us the night before, he says, well, you know, you guys get up at three in the morning or 3.30 because at four we're leaving and we're gonna drive into the Serengeti here. We're gonna look for animals as they're waking up in the morning. So I thought, oh, that's exciting. So we did that and it was dark that morning and I, 
and you couldn't see hardly anything, and we're driving along in this dirt road, and the long grass is on either side, or some anyway. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I looked out the window and I said, "Stop!" I said, "There's a whole family of lion right here next to the vehicle. It was a pride of lion, and it was right there." And and so Bashiri, he had the windows down on the front seat there because for a little bit of ventilation. And I remember Bashiri moving ever so slowly to roll the windows up. <laughs> roll those up. And, and there was a big male there with his big mane and all that. But it really wasn't him that was so impressive. But it was the female. And the female got up and she made this tremendous yawn. And if you come over to our building over there in Santee, I got a picture of it on the wall. Anyway, big yawn, big teeth, you know, little cubs just jumping all over her, kind of irritating her. They got up, you know, and they were only about 10 feet away from us. And impressed me so much was when this this female lion, I was going to say this woman, but it wasn't a woman. <laughs> this female lion, when she got up, the muscles in her shoulder and back were just astounding because they just rippled with strength as she walked. And you could tell as she was walking, she knew she was strong. She knew, she said, I don't know about this guy over here. They may call him the king of the jungle, but I'm the queen. And, yeah, and she just reflected this confidence. You know, there was no cowering. She didn't cower. She didn't look around in fear like, you know, who's coming up like every other animal does around there. But she walked with this kind of assurance through the long grass. And I thought to myself, I am never going to walk in that long grass, come up with something like her. And of course, you know, she takes down prey that's much larger than her because, because that's her job. She does the hunt. She does the kill. That picture of that unhesitating confidence, that's Judah. That's what Jacob said. That's Judah. And of course, where you really see that unhesitating confidence is is when the lion has made the kill and is stooping down to eat its prey, or even if she's old and she lies down for a snooze, nothing wakes her up. You know, and that's what Jacob said about Judah in Genesis 49.9. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? That's what Judah's called here. Judah is called a lion. And that unhesitating confidence is what persuaded Jacob to send Benjamin down, let him go down to Egypt. It was Judah's lion-like, unhesitating confidence. And that's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a picture who never cowered. The Lord Jesus never cowered before the powerful Pharisees who continually threatened him, but with a lion-like, unhesitating confidence, it was the Lord Jesus who spoke to them in Matthew 23, 13, where it says, he said unto them, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, 
scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You compass the sea, the land, to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, whosoever shall swear by the temple, temple, it's nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, for he's a debtor. You fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it's nothing, but whosoever sweareth by the gift upon it, he's guilty. You fools and blind, whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. That's the Lord Jesus in action as the lion of the tribe of Judah with this unhesitating confidence. And that lion-like, unhesitating confidence is what God wants us to ask him for, not in pronouncing judgment as he did because the Lord Jesus said in John 5.22, John 5.22, the father judges no man but hath committed all judgment unto the son. But what the Lord Jesus has committed to us instead of judgment is Mark 16.15, Mark 16.15, you said it to them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So he's asking us, he's saying to us, that's that lion-like, unhesitating confidence that we're to proclaim the good news that man's sins can be forgiven and cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. And we're to pray for that. Pray for that Judah-like, unhesitating confidence when it comes to preaching the gospel as Paul asked others to pray for him in Philippians 1.18. Philippians 1.18 where he says, Christ is preached, I therein rejoice, will rejoice. I know this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit according to the earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness, see that's that unhesitating confidence, with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or death. And then he went on to say in Colossians 4.3, Colossians 4.3, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which also I am in bounds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So the gospel, it has the power to free men from Satan's tyranny, and we need to ask God for this Judah-like, unhesitating confidence to speak the gospel message. Now, we saw further in verse nine here of this chapter 43, verse nine, how Judah now volunteers himself He volunteers himself as a sacrifice. He says, I will sacrifice myself for Benjamin's safe return. Now, this picture of Judah volunteering himself to sacrifice himself so that Benjamin can go free, he will make good on this. Judah will make good on this when he does stand before Joseph in the next chapter chapter 44, verse 32, 44, 32, when he will say to Joseph, thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, if I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now, therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. So there he is. He's volunteering himself to take Benjamin's place. He is a slave. Instead of Benjamin, so that Benjamin can go, that's a perfect picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who took our place. And all of Isaiah 53 has that theme. He took our place. Like the little girl said at the CEF booth in Del Mar. 
He took our place. In Isaiah 53, 5, he took our place as he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and as the chastisement of our peace was on him and we're healed. In Isaiah 53, 4, 53, 4, he took our place when he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. And then in verse 6, Isaiah 53, 6, he took our place when the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. In verse 12, verse 12 of Isaiah 53, he bare the sins of many. Only one of the brothers of all of them gained the confidence of Jacob to entrust Benjamin to him to let him go down to Egypt. And there's only gonna be one Jewish man who's gonna gain the confidence of the Jewish people. That's why it's so interesting when it says, and Judah said unto Israel. And there's only one Jewish man who's gonna gain the confidence of the Jewish people so that they will entrust their souls to him. And that Jewish man is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jacob is convinced by Judah. And then he says in verse 11, he says in verse 11, their father Israel said unto them, if it must be so now. That's the great change for Jacob. He had struggled with this for so long. And now at last, he surrenders, he resigns himself to the fact he's gonna let Benjamin go down to Egypt. It's very much like the struggle of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed to the Father in Luke twenty-two forty-one. Luke twenty-two forty-one, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And then there appeared an angel unto him, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. And he rose up from prayer, come to his disciples, he, and they were sleeping, but okay. So finally, this victory is won, and there's kind of relief in it, because the decision is made and there's a relief for the Lord Jesus. The decision is made. He's going to go ahead, bear the sins of the world. He rises up from prayer. Finally, with Jacob, there's a kind of a relief. The decision is made. Okay, Benjamin is going down to Egypt. And you know, you see the struggle, decision, relief. All right, and then the next step. And that's the same thing that is seen in the life of Jochebed, the mother of Moses, she goes through the same pattern where it says in Exodus 2.2, Exodus 2.2, speaking about Jochebed, the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. When she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and laid it in the flags in the river's brink. I mean, there's Jochebed. She loves her little baby boy, Moses. Only she doesn't know his name's Moses at that point, but hey, it doesn't matter. She loves her little boy, and she's under the order of Pharaoh, destroy all baby boys. That included her son. And like Jacob, clinging to Benjamin, not letting him go down to Egypt, Jochebed said, no. I will not let, I will not yield to this pressure of the Egyptian king. I will not kill my baby boy. I won't throw him into the Nile. 
And just like Jacob, who came to this place of realizing, can't do that anymore, can't hold Benjamin anymore, she comes to that decision also. And she says, I can't hold on to my little baby boy anymore. I can't keep him in hiding. I got to let him go. And so she accepts, like Jacob, the inevitable. And when it comes time to have to let Benjamin go there after he's accepted the inevitable with the words, if it must be so now. And right after he says that in verse 11, her father Israel said unto them, if it must be so now, do this and take of the best fruits of the land and in your vessels and secure any very detailed but the, what the present should be. And we saw that the decision was made. He goes to work immediately, prepare the present. That's exactly what Jochebed did. So she makes the decision, she goes to work. And she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch. Okay, when Jacob makes his decision to let it, Benjamin go down to Egypt, Jacob now, it's like he adopts for himself a new life orientation, an orientation of prayer. When he says in verse 14, this is a prayer in verse 14, when he says, and God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your brother, Benjamin, your other brother, and Benjamin. His address is specific, and God Almighty. It's specific as to who it is going to, and God Almighty. That's why our prayers are specific. I love to pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. If I pray, oh God, or pray to God, who's God? Everybody says God. Who's that? You know? But when you say the Lord Jesus Christ, crystallization happens, and we know who God is. And his prayer is specific. His prayer is specific in his request, that he may send away your other brother, and Benjamin. It's interesting. He's good. He doesn't say Simeon. Simeon doesn't rank compared to Benjamin. He's just the other brother. But Benjamin is Benjamin. Wow. Anyway, so when Jacob adopts this new orientation of prayer to God Almighty, it changes Jacob. Jacob is a changed man now. It changes him because now Jacob is, is humbled. He's humble. It's no more the Jacob who in bold defiance and in the last verse of chapter 42, verse 38, is no longer he's putting his foot down. My son shall not go down with you. But now it's carry down the man of present. Yeah, verse 11, that's humility. And his, his orientation of prayer about to God Almighty it changes him because now Jacob is seeking to appease his enemies. There's no more this Jacob who's angry with the man, why he took the Simeon. Is, is now, Jacob's now trying to become friends with the angry man down there in Egypt. And this orientation, this orientation of prayer is changed, you know, to God Almighty. It's changed Jacob. Now he's full of faith. Now Jacob is full of faith. It's no more Jacob who's leaning to his own understanding. I'm going to hold back Benjamin from all the trouble because I've been seeing everything happens when they're around you guys. But now J Jacob is trusting the Lord for Benjamin's safety. He's trusting the Lord with all of his heart when he gives them Benjamin. He's acknowledging the Lord with this open reliance on God. Everyone hears Jacob say, and God Almighty give you mercy. Mercy. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th and Saturday morning, February 10th at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others. Cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at reachisrael.com, reachisrael.com.